Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we discover God's glory in what He's doing around the world. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, church planters, and disciple makers as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Hi. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to take just a few seconds to let you know that this interview is actually broken into two parts. Believe it or not, we ended up talking for over an hour, and our guest had some amazing things to share, but I prefer to keep our episodes a little bit shorter than that, so we'll have part one of the interview this week, and then we'll finish up with part two next week. However, if you just can't wait, I'll have some information about how you can download the second half of the interview at the end of this episode, and with that, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. All right, let's get started. Our guest today grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, but he's been all over the world. He's hiked up to the last tea house on Mount Everest. He's been inside the Great Pyramids, and he's been to Brazil, Niger, India, and Malaysia. But I'm excited because he's the first guest we've had on the show who focuses on ministry to Sikhs. In fact, I, I was confessing to him before we got into this, up until today, I didn't even know what a Sikh was. So if you're in the same boat as me, I think that we're going to learn something together. I do want to mention that for security reasons, we're using the pen name James Human today. So James, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Well, I'm excited to be here too and to have the opportunity to share with those out there about uh, uh, the, the ministry God has put me on, but about the Sikhs and uh, how we can engage them. Well, thank you. So, James, as we're getting started, as you know, I like to start off a little bit kind of getting to know you so that as we then approach ministry and some of the other things, we have a little bit of a foundation for you. And there's kind of a burning question in the back of my mind as I was looking through some of the stuff you sent, because... I'm just, I'm interested in the path that leads from growing up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, to being a global minister, global missionary with an expertise on Sikhs. How did God move you along that path? Well, I really, I guess it started a long time ago with my mom taking me <laughs> to church, you know, and, uh, that's, you know, learning about God and who the Lord was. But then, uh, you know, after when I was 13, I kind of left God. But because of what my mom taking me to church stuff, and meeting my my present wife, and taking me back to church and finding the Lord Jesus Christ, I began to to understand how much He loved me and to be obedient to what He wanted me to do. So it started back with my mom. So I want to give her <laughs> the thanks for getting me to where I am today, uh, because if it wasn't for her taking me, then I would not be doing what I'm doing today. And then my from my wife for taking getting me back in the church to where I heard God's word. And from God's Word, that's where it really began. I, I, I had a pastor friend uh, that uh, went to Haiti, 
And this was probably, I don't know, 25 years ago that he started talking about Haiti and how the kids wanted his tennis shoes. And it put a little desire in my heart about missions, but I never did anything about it until we went to this church in the middle Tennessee and uh, they were uh, going to Brazil. And I kept saying, well, I, I want to go to Brazil, but then I never went. But my wife finally one time said, you better, and I'm going to say it nicely. She just said, <laughs> better be quiet. You better be quiet and go. And, but at the time, being a young father and, you know, finances and stuff, I wasn't sure how I could afford it. But then I went to a meeting, uh, at this, uh, auditorium and this lady came up to me and said, I understand you want to go to Brazil. And I said, I said, well, yes. She says, your, your finances are covered. Wow. And I was shocked. So uh, that began the show that God was pointing me to Brazil. So from that point, you know, uh, went to Brazil and I just, uh, uh, fell in love with sharing the gospel, and I found that that was one of my gifts, and it was confirmed through my wife and other people of, of this gift of evangelism and showing God's love uh, with a smile and kidding with them and, you know, hugging their kids and things like that. But God put me on a corner of a street in Rio de Janeiro, and all these people were going by, and God said to me, Jamie, where are they going? And I knew where they were going, and then he said, who's going to tell them? Hmm. And so that really kind of stuck with me. And uh, so as, as I progressed, I went to Brazil six or seven times. And then God said to the age of 56, he would share with me where he wanted me to go next. But <laughs> all along this time, I was growing. You know, I, I taught Sunday school and did some other things to, and, you know, to, to learn what God's speaking to me. Not, you know, but through godly pastors and things. But, you know, through the scriptures, as we read, God speaks to us personally on which path he wants to take us. So he was taking me down this path, which I really didn't know at the time. But then he said, at the age of 56, he said, I want to re- reveal to you what I'd like for you to do, Jamie. And I said, well, okay. So at 56, I was at Penny's, and I worked for J.C. Penny's 38 years. But at this particular moment, I said, well, I'll just look and see where he wants me to go. Mm-hmm. And at first one, I didn't really know where to look, so I asked somebody at our church, and he said, well, go to the IMB Volunteer Network. So I did. And and I hit this screen. The first thing that came up was Niger, Africa. And I said, Niger? I never heard of that place. He must not want me to go there. So I kind of clicked off and said, I'll come back in a few weeks and see. Mm-hmm. But I came back and did the same thing. Niger. So I said, okay, I guess you want me to go to Niger, Lord. So I sent a note to the uh, the missionary there, which I didn't think he could use me. And this is part of my story, too, because I'm a lay person that sometimes you feel like because of your past, even though you're washed clean, you know, that God may not be use you and you'd be effective. So I didn't mm. think he would want me to come to Niger. Well, the guy said, come on down. And I went, oh, my gosh, I'm going to <laughs> Niger, Africa. You know, and I was kind of shaking. It was by myself. And I guess God wanted to know if I was going to be obedient to go at the age of 56. And so, mm-hmm. I, you know, I said, I'll be there. But then a guy in my Sunday school class said him and his wife were praying, said that God told him to go with me, because, I mean, him to go with me because God wanted me to come back alive. <laughs> so he sent a guy that was a world traveler with me to help me get to where I was going. So I went to Niger during Ramadan uh, and was able to share 300 times with an Arubic cube. Uh, I mean, not a Rubik's cube, a Fangie cube uh, in uh, in uh, Niger. So then at the age of 57, God said, I want to reveal to you again what I would like to do. So I guess I was obedient going to Niger. He says, well, i got something else for us. So I didn't have a clue. And what it boiled down to was that he wanted us, my wife, to resign from her job, me to re- retire from pennies at the age of 57, five years early, and go on missions. And so that's when we filled out all the papers to the International Mission Board, 
to determine if, you know, they would accept us to, to go on missions, which I didn't think they would, to tell you the truth. And uh, then we got a letter saying you could come. Hmm. And so we went to the we went to the National Mission Board in Virginia, that conference, and from there, uh, God led us to India. And that's where we ended up going to India. Didn't know who the Punjabis were, didn't know where the Punjab was, didn't know who Sikhs were. And the funny thing was that I thought, well, you know, most Indians that you see, you know, the Patels and others, that you think they're they're not as tall. I mean, they're not real tall. And I thought, well, I'm going to be the big tall white guy maybe going over here or something. Well, when it's Punjab, they're from the Aryan descent, and so they were all over six foot. <laughs> so, so I was still the short, I was still the short white guy around, you know, so... Yeah. But that's where I went and, and found out who the Sikhs were, and uh, uh, so my wife and my daughter, who's 11, and I, we sold her home and, you know, I gave my dog away. And that's pretty bad in the South when you have to give your yeah. dog away. I yeah. give your dog away and then sold the boats and stuff and went to India and learned about the Sikhs and uh, were there for two years. And then uh, they wanted us to go to Malaysia and be a Sikh seeker because God allowed us to be effective wow. there in uh Malaysia. So then we went to Malaysia for two years and we're Sikh seekers there. And uh, so I'm still in the mission group because it's uh, what God wants us to, We all should be there, but he just has, I guess, uh, trained me along the way uh, with my, my past uh, that I could be used in Brazil and others mm-hmm. uh, with the things that I have in my toolbox. So that's where it came from. Uh, uh, it came from a, a preacher going to Haiti and putting a little spark in me. And then once I got overseas and started meeting new people and cultures. Uh-huh. It's yeah. just awesome. So I, I know that we wanted to focus on Sikhs today, but something really kind of hit me as you were sharing about your time in Niger, because you mentioned that you were there in the middle of Ramadan. And mm-hmm. at the time that we're recording this, we're in the middle of Ramadan. And so I'm wondering, were there any stories of, of you sharing your faith that you, maybe just one story of a time when you shared your faith that uh, you might be willing to share with us today? Okay, the main thing that, that God had laid on my heart, and I never used the, the uh, Vanity Cube much, but going to these countries, uh, you really don't need to start a conversation about mm-hmm. Christ a lot of times. It's, I should say you, you, you're better uh, better off if you let them ask you a question first about things. So having the Vanity Cube out there, we were asked questions. Uh, someone would come up and say, what is this? And we said, well, this is a great story. Would you like to hear? And so what we would do from there, we would use the Evangel Cube to share the story of the gospel oh. with, uh, with with the people. And we did it in the markets, and we did it on street corners. And uh, you know, uh, this was uh, what gosh six years ago, uh, but we did have uh, uh, three people that did profess faith, uh, uh, Christ. Uh, and then the missionary there was going to follow up on them. But it, it really boiled down to was that they wanted to know what that story said. <laughs> and so when they saw the Evangel Cube, each part of it, you know, from the sin to where Jesus is on the cross until his resurrection, where you could explain it and they could visually see it mm-hmm. also, it made a big difference. And then the missionary there, he was more of an expert with Muslims than I was. I was not, but so he he did a lot through his knowledge of the Quran, where he could tie some bridges from the Quran to our Bible to get these uh, get the people thinking even more in depth of what we were covering with the Evangel Cube. 
That's really, I hope that helps them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think that I, it's probably been years, but I, I think I remember seeing an Evangie cube before. That, um, if I remember right, it's similar to the, um, the bridge that you might draw where you've got sin on one side and God on the other and then Christ in the middle. Is that, is that kind of similar or am well, I thinking well, about something else? It, it kind of. Okay. But it's where it's, it's, it's like in a cube and then you'll open it up and it'll show Jesus on the cross and you'll open it. It's just almost, and then you'll open it up and it shows Jesus, uh, uh raising up from the dead and it opened up again. You keep, it keeps, I don't know how it does it, but it keeps, you keep opening it, opening it up and it shows a different picture from even where Jesus reaches down. And I use, always use John 14, 1 through 6, where Jesus says, you know, in my father's house, there's many mansions, mm. you know, many rooms, you know, for what the trail went to. And then I will come because it has a hand coming down with the, with the nails and the wrist reaching down to grab this person because Jesus says, I will come and I will take you and place you. Hmm. So there's certain scriptures you can use with each part of the bandit cube. You know, and I used to never use it, but, you know, when you have to do a convert, want to get a conversation started, it's a great thing to, to use. And I have not used it with Sikhs, but God has laid it on my heart to begin using it with, with them also. Hmm. And just let me share two other stories with that. I was in the Himalayas. We were up at the last tea house, the mm-hmm. last tea house, and my, my God said, "Take the banjo cube out and eat dinner with it, with with that on the table." So I went out and laid it on the table, started eating. My my uh, guide saw it, and he was across the room. He came over and said, "What's that?" And so I was able to share the gospel with my Sherpa guide, and uh, he is now going to a church in in Kathmandu, and he's okay from the <laughs> earthquakes. We still we still contact each other, but it all began with that. And then also I've helped at the Native American Indians out in their powwow, and you cannot start a, a spiritual conversation with the Native American Indians. They have to begin. So what we do, we gave coffee and water and things away and then cleaned up the arboretum once they did their dancing and stuff, and we, we cleaned up the trash, but they would come get free coffee. But on our uh, counter were evangel cubes. And so from the first year of only 11 salvations in the Indian Reservation, now in the past five years, he's hit almost 2,000 <laughs> because of the Vanjie Cube. Wow. And the beginning of the conversation, you know, with that. And from there, see, and each person can use the stories God has placed in their heart for the Vanjie Cube. And, and even in the training I do at Seek, they're only guides because the Holy Spirit will guide each of us mm-hmm. for each each for for each person where we are, if we just listen to where that person is spiritually, then God will use within our toolbox to help that person. So, but the Vanjie Cube helps you get conversations started uh, in in situations like that. That's great. As you think about your life and your ministry, is there maybe a meaningful quote or a scripture, something that's been kind of foundational to your ministry and how you approach it? Yes, there is. And it's uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And if I can read that for you. Yeah. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should be, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And that's kind of the one that my wife and I have been, we've hit it on some of our cards and things like that. And there's many other ones, but that's the one that has really kind of 
I guess been there for us that uh, that we try to live live by, and I, uh, and especially putting adding to that is showing God's love. I think the most important thing we do is not tell people about God's love, but to show them. Yeah, you know how we love them and how He loves them. Yeah, yeah. you've shared a, a, a actually quite a a long breadth of story, really, as we talked about the uh, the path from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, to all of the nations that you've been in and the ministry that you have. One of the things I find that helps us connect with people also are the stories of challenges, because it's it has a tendency to humanize us in the, well, the Facebook world, where everybody's life looks like puppies and kittens until you actually get into it. Can you share with us maybe a time when you faced uh, a challenge or a failure, and then share with us what God did in that time? time okay well there's there's quite a few of those but i know there's one in particular and this is where god was uh i guess teaching me to to rely on him that you know i we sometimes we just have to trust him and sometimes we want he's really going to take care of us but we were i was uh, in india i was way out in villages and my wife was in malaysia and uh I mean, we couldn't even get a cell phone out there, but then we got a message out there through uh, almost, I guess, almost like the, <laughs> the couriers coming out by these little cell phones or whatever. But anyway, got a message that my daughter back in, ten- in Tennessee had had a reaction to a brown recluse spider bite mm. and that she had a Johnson syndrome and that she, it was, it was really a life or death situation. So... I was in the middle of India. There was nothing I could do. <laughs> and your daughter is there in the hospital, and she was having struggles with with uh, her husband and things, too. So she wasn't like she had a lot of people around her to help her. Mm. Uh, so what do you do? You know, and the yeah. pastor says, he said, James, he said, we have pastors and, and lay people all over uh, the area in, in, the, in the Punjab. They're on their knees praying for your daughter. And uh, and a long story short, I guess you could say that uh, some things happened that were really kind of unique with my daughter and a doctor that came in and helped her, but she never saw again, and uh, she got better. Wow! Uh, so that was it. Was just a, it, that was <laughs> a really, really, really a, a struggle for a father that there's nothing you can do, you know, and and that and you know it's just there's other things where. Uh, in the ministry that I'm in now, and this is probably go to another question you may answer later, but you, know, you struggle with, am I effective? Oh, yeah. You know, and you just feel like, uh, Lord, I, you know, you don't see any results. You don't see anything happening, you know, and, and you just wonder, am I in God's will? And, uh, you know, sometimes I, this has happened, it used to happen frequently, <laughs> you know, it's getting a little better because God has shared with me that things were going to move on, and they have. You know, but there are times I just felt so ineffective, and all of a sudden, and this is a particular case, I was just so down. I said, you know, I don't, I told my wife, I said, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And that night about 10 o'clock, I got a phone call from somebody in California. About 10.30 at night, uh, said, is this James Human? And I said, yes, it is, and said, we've been searching all over for people who work with Sikhs, and your name is the only one we could find. Do you work with Sikhs? And I said, well, yes. And he said, would you come out? <laughs> and I've been praying for California. Oh. I've been playing, praying for Sacramento area. I've been praying for the uh, Northern California, for San Jose. And what it ended up that Yuba City was only like 45 minutes from Sacramento. Hmm. 
And uh, so God had answered that by saying, it's in my time, Jamie, you know, and so uh, he brought me out of my my feeling sorry for myself, I guess you could say, by uh, having this person call me. So, but there are many things like that that yeah. happened along as we've gone and uh, where you, you feel like you're alone or you're not being effective or something happens to your family. And, and that's happened too many times because since the ministry has started to, to do something, God is, I mean, uh, but Satan has attacked the family. Mm-hmm. Things have happened along the way and you just have to, you know, rely on God to, to take care of them. I hope that that's, you know, some information that can be helpful. Oh, that's great. I, honestly, I could probably sit here and talk to you about just this all day, but I want to make sure that we also have some time to talk about your Sikh ministry and, and to learn okay. from you. Uh, so with that, I think we're probably going to draw this section to a close. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, I think we're going to start focusing on the ministry and on Sikhs. Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break for the Engaging Missions Leadership Minute, brought to you by Scott McClelland of FX Missions. Hi, this is Scott McClellan with your Leadership Minute. I'd like to begin here with a quote from Rick Warren that says, All leaders are learners. The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. This brings to mind for me something also that I've come to realize. We each have a personal responsibility for our own development. If today you're not the leader that you want to be or that you hope to be, You need to take personal responsibility to onboard the necessary learning to get to that place. And it's not impossible, though it can be a search. I want to encourage you, if today you are hoping to develop your personal leadership capacity, ask the Lord to show you what it is that you need to learn and also ask Him to provide the learning that you need. It may come from sources you don't expect. But if you ask the Lord to help you learn the things you need to know to be a great leader, He will do that. He's committed to discipling you, and He'll use a lot of means to do so. This is Scott McClellan with your Leadership Minute. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at fxmissions.com or on most social media channels at fxmissions. Have a good one. This has been the Engaging Missions Leadership Minute. If you have any leadership questions that you'd like for Scott to address, please send those to feedback at engagingmissions.com. That's where we're going to break off the interview for this week, and we'll be back next week with part two of this interview. However, if you just can't wait that long, you can download both halves of the interview by visiting the show notes page at engagingmissions.com slash jameshuman. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes by visiting engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. Audio editing for this program was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studios. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.